This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to the Non Air Never podcast. And this week we are celebrating a brilliant result away at Chelsea. One that probably few of us actually expected after Chelsea's start to the season. It was one all in the end. And joining me today, we've got the mighty fine duo who we uh, we met up in London at the weekend. We've got Richard Steele and Tom Whitaker. So good evening to you first, Richard, just because you're in my top left corner. Good evening, Georgia. I hope you're well. Still on a uh, cloud nine after that win, and it was great to have a few beers on a uh, on Saturday. Even though the pub Tom recommended initially was absolutely rubbish. So, yeah, Tom, have you got any uh, explanation, please, as to why I was stood outside for 15 minutes while some um, jobsworth was counting his clicker for 100 people? You know what, mate? I've never actually been. I just googled it, and it said it was a good one to go to. So, you know, you learn from experience, don't you? So, at least we know next time to avoid it and go around the corner instead. Yeah, so viewers, we know if Tom Tom might all be well and good with his tweets, you know, might bring us luck. But if he ever, ever gives you a recommendation for somewhere to drink, do not listen to the man. Let him stick to his tweets. Um, so, also, George, yeah. the best part of your, your day, the day that astonished you the most, wasn't Vidra's goal. It was my dad's ability to go on a table in a pub. <laughs> I'm not being funny, but he, we were stood up in this bar and... This poor family who must have been in that table for a couple hours, the second that one butt cheek left a chair, not even two, just one butt cheek left and raised as though they were preparing to leave. Richard's dad was, well, he was like a rabbit to a fox or a fox to a rabbit. It's probably a fox to a rabbit. He was like a fox to a rabbit, just bang in there. He was stood up. He was around them, like just being like, you know, what? are you leaving? Yeah, yeah, we'll have this table. I think four of them were still sat down. So if you ever need a, a man to bags your table, it's Richard's dad. So that's the, that's the lesson I learned from the weekend. Not that Burnley are determined. Uh, but on the pub, I was just going to ask you, how, how, how was it meeting the non and ever crew in person? Well, I've met Richard a couple of times before. We've had a, we've had a pint every now and again. He's normally a lot for the way. That's what I normally do. So uh, I think it was the first time I've met you, though, George, in real life. Exactly what I expected. Effervescent personality. It was nice, yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. It was, uh, I come down on me and my dad didn't fancy that one, so it was nice to have a beer with before and after. 
and, uh, and put the world to rest. Yeah, so the day probably improved after we avoided the first pub. The day definitely improved after that. And then we went to the ground and, I mean, the game itself, one all. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but after 10 minutes, I was definitely fearing the worst. I'd given it all uh, Billy Big uh, balls before the, before the game. I was saying to Richard and Tom, I think, I think you know, I think we'll nick this 1-0. I've just got a feeling that these big teams are slipping up. But 10 minutes in, they're all over us. I think they've had maybe 30 chances. That might be underestimating it. But Richard, what, what were you feeling like? You're in the lower tier at the weekend. And it was at the other end of the goal, wasn't it? So uh, it probably felt a bit more scary, especially in the lower tier. Yeah, when you start where we are, um, I'll come on to it, a good story in a minute towards the end, which will lie. But it is difficult to actually see the, see, see the game. But that first 15 minutes, it just ripped, ripped, ripped. It just ripped us open. We really couldn't get to grips of it at all. I thought Reese James was the standout player for me all afternoon. And it's one of them, though, isn't it? You get a little bit of luck, you know. They hit a few wide Popey makes, you know, makes a few great saves. If the, you know, if the two nil up within first fifth in the first fifteen minutes, you probably lose that game five or six nil. And but that's a bit of the luck you need um, when you go away to these massive, massive clubs. And as I know, we're going about it more, but as the game grew on, we more got like to the old Burnley about being dogged, about being determined. So yeah, Chelsea were outstanding. I think it's going to, you know, we watched the Man City. United game in the pub before. I know Liverpool dropped points, but I think it's going to be an outstanding title race this season. But Chelsea do really, really look a top side. And there's not going to be many teams at all in the bottom half of the league who's going to get there and get anything this season. Yeah, it was really interesting because they just seemed to be all over us. But Tom, do you reckon it was... Did we start badly or were Chelsea just, you know, the champions of Europe putting on a show? It's a difficult one, and I think the way they play, the pressure high, it's really difficult to, to keep the ball and recycle it against them. The, the sort of outstanding feature, I think, of, of Chelsea season thus far has been the full-backs, and that was really on display, I thought, especially, uh, we've mentioned him already, Reese James, best player on the pitch. Uh, the, the main problem we had, I think, was it was not knowing what to do with, with the crosses coming in. We, we, we spoke about it on here before, and we've known it for a long, a long time now, defending deep, defending narrow, letting the crosses come in and then heading them away but the crosses were coming from all angles you know you can sit a little bit deeper and, and play in at a different angle so you saw a lot of that from James and I don't think we really got to grips with that um, we know we're a bit weak on the left hand side obviously Taylor's had a bit of an up and down season so far although I thought he was fantastic on, on Saturday and you don't always get that same level of cover from McNeil that you do for Munson on the other side so uh, yeah, I think that was that was really what we found difficult to, uh, to get to grips with that and the fact that obviously we're always outnumbered in midfield and when you go to these, these big teams that can really recycle the ball and keep it really well, it, it really shows and, and that was the main problem. We just couldn't get a foot on the ball, couldn't keep it for any period of time, uh, switch it out wide and, and they've always got the overload on that side and uh, yeah, as you say, found it really difficult to deal with. I thought we were really, the way we defended some of those crosses was, was really poor and we were lucky that a, Chelsea were quite uh, properly up with the finishing, and B, Nick Pope uh, seems to be getting back to his best form. Yeah, certainly. That did keep us in it, especially in the first 20 minutes, because, I mean, we saw with, oh, like, like the Liverpool season where they were going for the title with Sturridge and Suarez, they'd get one goal in the first five or 10 minutes, and then by 20 minutes in, you're 3-0 you're down. It can happen against them sort of teams. But I've, as you were saying then, with the crosses and the way we were defending them, there was just an air of vulnerability about us. I thought 
before the game, I was I was buzzing. So, you know, there was no striker in their squad. There was no Lukaku, no Timo Werner, nobody. They had Havertz and uh, Pulisic was on the bench, but they just had basically a team of wingers and attacking midfielders. So that just made it all the more bitter for me when we conceded uh, from a header, from a cross into the box, but, but by a winger. Rich, how do you see the, the goal happening there? Because to be honest, it did seem just really avoidable in a way. He just seemed to just sort of glide into the box or was it that they'd torn us apart leading up to the goal? I think going back to your earlier points about him not having Lukaku and Warner, I think we won the game because of that. I think if Lukaku especially plays in that game and he's on his best form, we do lose. Um, yeah, it, it was a strange one, wasn't it? I, I actually felt leading up to that goal, you know, we got through the first 20 minutes or so, we were settling into the game a little bit more, back in our shape. And then, like like Tom was saying, I'm pretty sure it, it was Rhys James who crossed the ball, who, you know, he, his crossing all afternoon was outstanding, to be fair. And yeah, it's it's one of them, isn't it? It's like, Taki and me are quite far apart. And it's almost like they've not seen Havertz coming, which you find a bit unusual. And he just got into the middle of the box and just had the easiest header that you'll see in all day. Or they've not communicated or talked to each other um, properly. So, it's one of them, isn't it, Joe? If Chelsea score a, a great goal where that you know someone t- smashes it into the top corner, or you know they just cut slice you open through a great bit of play, you know, like like they did a few times previous in the score, you go further enough. But that one was a little bit when you watched it back that evening on match of the day, you're like, well, why has nobody picked him up there? It, it was quite unusual, and it's almost hard to analyse that because you can't really just get your head around why nobody just literally went across to him and and picked him up and, you know, I seen Pope's reaction. He was like, you know, come on, lads, give us a little bit of help here. Um, yeah, it just wasn't good enough. And we just never got to grips with that really in the first half. You know, we're giving too much space, we're giving too much room. Going back to what you said earlier, was it Chelsea being just that good? And I think that there was an element to that, but I think we showed him too much respect in that first half. And in the second half, you know, we got in and amongst it, inside putting our blocks in. So, yeah, disappointing goal to concede, but it's not the first time this season we've said that. No, certainly. I, I just think it's one of them where sometimes teams... You, the, so that, that goal came on the 30, 30, basically 35 minutes into the game. You've been defending effectively non-stop for 30 of those minutes against a team that's... The benefit of obviously not having a striker is that they're very fluid up front. Players are running all over the place. I think sometimes you just, you know, you just turn off for that split second and that's when these, these sort of teams get in behind you and score a goal. But we're going to go on to the second half performance, which was obviously much better. But possibly the most important bit of the game was getting to half time, just one nil. Tom, I thought after after they scored, they didn't it, they didn't capitalize on that. You know that was that was the key to us was scraping over the line and getting into half time at one nil because without that, we'd have been in in Dickie's meadow. Yeah, you're right. I think uh, Richard was right what he said as well. I think after the first. 20 minutes, it did calm down a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't say the goal came out of the blue or against the run of play, but it certainly wasn't the sort of endless balls into the box that we were dealing with prior to that. This is a strange one, actually. Um, uh, you, you know that a lot's been made of what Tushu said after the game, and I'm sure we'll come on to it, but there seemed to be almost a bit of a lack of will to really turn the screw for that second goal. Um, you, you've got like uh, Barclays you know, shooting from wherever, you know, not, not being able to take a cat backside of the banjo. 
Um, but what seemed to be working for him was the balls in the box, and he seemed to abandon that really after after Havertz's goal. You know, in the second half, you had Hudson Odoi cutting inside and Zach and shooting more shots from the end of the area, stuff like that. You never really saw too many balls whipped in after that, I didn't think, and he didn't see too many headers. So I did think that was a bit of a strange one. Um, and yeah, I think probably part of that is, is, is like you say, is the, the adaptation that we had to make tactically without Lukaku and um, Werner playing. But also, yeah, yeah, just maybe a little bit of, uh, do you call it a lack of ambition, a lack of ruthlessness maybe is the word there. Uh, and yeah, probably a little bit fortunate that that, that was present in, that, in the Chelsea team because like Richard said on a different day, they could have put a few passes. Yeah, certainly. I'm interested in getting your opinion on this, Richard. So at half-time, uh, me and Tom spotted each other. We weren't too far away from each other in the upper tier. And I went down and obviously missed a positive. I was saying, you know, I think we'll keep it at 1-0. We'll, go, we'll, we'll keep it tight and then you never know. Last 10 minutes, just go for them. Tom was adamant. We didn't have a goal in us, but his expectation was obviously that from now on, it's going to be a tough game. But down in the lower tier with you you and your dad and your, your friend, what was the sort of feeling at halftime at 1-0? You know, it could have been a lot worse, but what were you thinking going into the second half? I actually felt going into half-time, I was starving and he had a chicken balti pie and it was outstanding. You know, for a southern pie, you normally get them and they're a bit poor. It was a brilliant chicken. It cost enough money, but it was a really good chicken balti pie. So that was my initial feeling and that maybe summed up the thoughts of the half-time. It, it, was, it was one of them at half-time and you can trash your feelings to full-time. I was, yeah... <laughs> I was sorry, George has just put a, a typical wig in a speaker, and all. it's just when you're from Wigan, you just got pies at the back of your head all the time. Um, I don't know what your thoughts on this is. I really enjoyed the atmosphere, you know, and it's just great to go away and everything. But uh, the first half was almost boring to watch, wasn't it? Because it was just almost such a no contest. So I, I, I was probably more in um, Camp Tom, really, were well, a little bit of you, Camp George, and thinking, listen, it's 1 0. Are they going to be feeling, you know, we should have put these to bed. We know what Burnley like, the longer they stay into games, we can always score off a set piece. And we'll come to the goal later, which was a lovely goal. Um, but we didn't really look like we, we we had a goal in us. I thought, you know, if Chelsea are going to come back out, really fired up in the second half and, you know, and really go for it. I was just kind of open at that point, if I'm being honest, me, me being negative, as you know. Let's just try and keep the, keep the score down, really. You know, we got a good result last week. And, and get out of there. But like you said, you know, a Sean Dice team, when it's 1-0 and you're sticking the game, once it got to about 60 minutes, that's when I think the game turned on. Well, it's interesting you say that because I'll, I'll stay with you, Rich, because I was just looking back at the substitutions and on the 61st minute, that's when Chris Wood came off and Jay Rodriguez came on, possibly an, an earlier substitution than we'd have expected. I don't think we started the second half badly. You know, we were definitely going for them a bit more and playing it on the ground, but... That substitution, you're saying the game turned at 60 minutes. Was that a coincidence or was that the introduction of J-Rod instead of Chris Wood? I think there's a couple of factors. I think, as I mentioned earlier, I think we showed him too much respect in the first half and we started to put more tackles in. Um, you know, we started to get closer to him. You know, we're still defending in, in our shape, which I think is important. We wasn't, you know, going flying out of positions, which is something I've mentioned before. But we had a better shape to us. I thought we was getting in and, in and amongst it more. The atmosphere was getting a little bit... I think the away end was getting behind the team a lot more and that riled up the home end. And I think it, and the game got a little bit disjointed, which suited us. But yeah, of course, I thought, you know, Cristiano would, as Tom likes to think of him as, I think. Uh, never say a bad word about Cristiano. 
he was poor, wasn't he, really? It was, you know, in Wood's defence, it, it was difficult for him. You know, we were just hoofing, you know, aimless balls, really. And he had Christiansen, Rudiger, Thiago Silva doubling up on him at, at, at times. But that wasn't easy. And sometimes when you do play a little bit deeper, you know, you want to have that player who can link the midfield to, you know, to, you know, to the attack. And I thought Jay did that well. I thought he brought a lot a lot of energy onto it. You know, he had a few nice touches, helped us keep the ball, helped, helped us keep the ball more. And I think, you know, we've talked on this podcast, uh, you know, and a lot of Burnley fans in general about Dice's substitutions maybe being too late or not attacking. I thought his substitutions were outstanding. Like when I seen Jay's, you know, Jay coming on, I just thought it was going to be for Carney. And then when I seen Vidra come on, I thought it was going to be for Carney. So third play, I thought, I felt it got, I thought the, the second half, everything we got was, was spot on the way we played, the way we defended, our transition into attacking Dice's substitutions. And, of, you know, of, of course it made a difference. You know, Jay set up for Vidra. So what, what more can you say? And even like just a little substitute, bringing Peters on for Carney. I know it was only with like, you know, maybe just under 10 minutes left, including injury time. But possibly, you know, even going back to the Leicester game, you know, we've maybe not made that substitution to, you know, to hold on. You see him. David Moyes yesterday being two fullbacks on for two wingers, and you know, when you hold the game out, so I thought Dice, you know, was absolutely spot on yesterday. Yeah, I think you bob on about the subs, Rich. I think uh, for me, it, it what really stood out as well is the fact that we made some good variety of substitutions, like you say, leaving Corny on. I don't think anyone expected that, but it was it was a real a signal of our intent. I think uh, we we were lucky as well on the offensive side. You know, Spoke already about Chelsea not pressing the advantage. I really thought it was crying out for a sub or two for them. I know they perhaps didn't have the, the well, mind you, I said they didn't have the quality on the bench. They brought Pulisic and Mount on with them to go. Then, too, for me, the game was drifting, like you said, it got a bit scrappy. I was really expecting them to, to take Hudson and I off, to take Barkley off. I didn't think either of them played that well. Um, neither of them could finish the dinner. I was really expecting to see one of those two, Mount or Pulisic, before, you know, before the goal. And I think the fact that, uh, that Dyche was proactive and Tuchel was reactive was, was a big reason that we got a point in the end. And it's uh, normally, you'd say it's the other way around. And certainly, like you say, normally Dyche's substitutions are something to criticise. But I thought he was he was absolutely spot on on Saturday. I think that's a, a really good point. Yeah, we were, def- we were definitely proactive. I just thought there was a whole sort of mood switch uh, at half-time. As soon as he came out, the crowd got behind them. And the, the thing I noticed in the second half, before we go on to talk about Vidra coming on and, and the eventual goal... <clears throat> I'll stick with you here, Tom, is that we, we just seemed to be more on the front foot in everything that we did, whether it was passing the ball more and, and you know, trusting ourselves not to lose the ball. There was a couple of times that Tarks was, you know, playing out from the back and pinging it to uh, Charlie Taylor, which you probably wouldn't have had in the first half. But there was just the crunching tackles from, I thought Brownell in particular was right at it all afternoon, like a, like a border terrier just going, just going after, man. That's how I was described in under nines uh, cricket, by the way. Got fielder of the year, like a border terrier running after the ball. Um, so I thought that's what that sort of Brownell was like. Uh, so Tom, did you notice that sort of attitude switch in the second half before we even before we even equalised? They were just going for Chelsea. Yeah, I think everyone in the way and people around me were saying it's like a young George Bull out there watching Brennan running about. It's, uh, I think Richard's uh, sort of touching it already. I think there was the, the, the further we went into the game, uh, and obviously the subs helped. There was there really did seem to be more and more of a belief that. It was going to be one of those days where the opposition hasn't taken the chances and are you going to sneak something in? Like Richard said, uh, less 
uh, less, you know, we were showing too much respect in the first half. We were we were much more in the face of second half. Some of the some of the blocks and tackles, throwing themselves in the way of things, really impressive. Like you say, I think that's the quality that Brown does bring in that midfield is, is his legs. He works so hard, he doesn't stop running. I think technically he can be a bit deficient sometimes for me, but yeah, he showed uh, he showed exactly why he's in the team there. The court to, uh, on Saturday, he, yeah, he, I think you're right. He personified the effort in that second half, really not letting them settle and not letting them uh, dictate the game to the extent they had during the first half. Yeah, and it was it was interesting for me how. You, you, you both mentioned before that you're expecting when that number board comes up and Jay Rodriguez is coming onto the picture thinking, all right, corner's going off here. We're sort of uh, going with a different tact. But it didn't happen that time and it didn't happen the next time when uh, when Goodmanson, it was Goodmanson who came off for Vidra on the 70th minute mark. And I expected, well, all right, Vidra's coming on, corner's now going to come off. But no, Dash stuck with him and he brought corner back to a winger position. And Rich, we may as well just go on to the goal. Vidra comes on in the 70th minute and less than 10 minutes later on the 79th minute mark, J-Rod and Vidra are linking up from a Lawton cross and our two subs, notoriously Burnley, our subs don't score, but not only did a substitute assist in J-Rod, but Vidra was the one to uh, put it away. I mean, describe the scenes in that away end and just just the goal, the goal itself because it, it really did cap off a wonderful second half for us. Yeah, I think, you know, Vidra is someone I I really like as a player. You know, you know he's he's not ideal. And when you've seen Corne come into the side, you know, some I think he's let down is that I don't, he's not clinical enough in front of goal, is he? But in terms of the energy and the running he brings to the team, he definitely brings us something different. I think he's not going to start as many games now this season with Corne coming into the side. But for me, he, he should definitely get more minutes. There's, there's no point bringing him on with, with five minutes to go. You know, especially, you know, Wood sometimes has those games, doesn't he? Where he where he's honest where he's just awful. You know, so I wouldn't say Saturday's one of them because I think there's factors to it, but it wasn't going his way, should I say. Get Vidra on and, and you know, I know Jay come on first, but I would I was, you know, I want to see him get more minutes, especially someone like Goodmanson who is a very, very tidy player, but as the game gets more stretched, Vidra's gonna be the one who who hurts and then then Carne can you know you can go out wide. It was a fantastically well-worked goal. I mentioned before, I was thinking probably the only way we're going to score uh, here is is for a set piece. I think that's the first, I think I read a start. That's the first goal from open play Chelsea's conceded this season. Um, you know, so that shows a bit of the quality of the goal. You know, sometimes we, you know, well, me, more so than you two, I do complain about Taylor's crossing. And about two minutes earlier, he put one straight into the keeper's hands and I'm like, what are you doing? But, you know, really good ball to Lowton. I think it was a little bit of a dodgy touch uh, to Westy. I don't think he can class as a cushion layoff, even though he's superb Lowton. And that's Westwood's ball, isn't it? Sometimes we moan about it. But when he's but when he's near to the box, that's a really dangerous ball to defend. What I did notice about the goal as well is, and maybe this sums up Carnage striking instincts and maybe put the defence off a little bit. We had three men in the box. It wasn't just the two. Carney was in the box. He wasn't just out wide on the left. And like I said, Rudiger's had a brain fade. You know, we're talking about centre-half switching off. Someone who's been outstanding this year when I've watched Chelsea. He's sitting a yard deeper than the rest of his defence. And obviously, Jay's lovely little header nodded back to Vidra. I did the old classic where I lost my absolute mind for 10 seconds. And then next, and then you see the rest standing still in his own half. You think, oh, bloody hell, here we go. It's going to be another Leicester. Uh, 
obviously when you're so far away, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to see. It's like one of them, like, surely he's offside. You know, Chelsea can't defend that goal that badly. Um, but, you know, once the ref gave it the little point to the centre circle, it was fantastic. And then the last 10 minutes, that atmosphere was absolutely bouncing. You know, the Burnley song go away. You know, there was that. What I love about the Burnley crowd when we're in it, it's absolutely electric, you know, the passion, you know, you're spurring your, your team on, you know. And I think that last 10 minutes, we never really looked like conceding. So I know we'll probably go on, you know, after the game and, and full time and different things like that. But yeah, it was a very special afternoon, really. It was the best, not just pre-COVID, it was the best away game I've been to for a long time. I, you know, imagine if they'd just scored in the last minute. Jesus, I think I'd still be in London now. Yeah, well, before we go on to talk about the defending in the last in the last ten minutes, which was superb, Rich, how about those two chances at the end where J Rod's through on goal, twenty maybe twenty five yards out, and he uh, takes 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 the detour to the corner flag in typical Burnley fashion, and I think Vidra yeah, had a chance as well. Yeah, I think the J one. Listen, it's maybe you know Tom Tom said, and I think he's made a fair point. It wasn't the best pass. It could have been a, a little bit in, in front of J, uh, but still, you're twenty yards from goal. Take a couple of touches and just have a shot. Who cares if he goes into Rolls Edge? He could get a corner. That's someone who spent most of his footballing life watching Burnley and playing for Burnley. He's decided to take it into the corner. I just went, what are you doing? No wonder people don't like us and say we're boring. But anyway, and, and then we get another one. Again, that's what Vidra gives you, though. You know, we talk about, you know, someone like Thiago Silva, he'll just win every header all day. Just that long ball from Popey, whose kicking was a lot better, actually, on, on, on Saturday. Uh, you know, Vidra's got him behind. And on when when you're seeing it live, you wasn't quite sure. And then when I watched it on match of day, I thought, what a chance that was. Some chance that if he's literally just hit it straight and it's a goal and he's hit it wrongly. But tell you what, if that Vidra shot went in, I think there would have been a few Burnley fans on the pitch. It would have gone absolutely mental. Well, funnily enough, uh, before we give Tom a chance to rebuke this point. When Vidra went, I, I went and stood with Tom the last few minutes. When Vidra went through on goal, there was one thing that he turned around and he said, he said he should have gone to the corner flag. Should, should have gone. So that's, that's a man who's also watched too much Burnley in his time. Uh, but Tom, I'm not going to give you the chance to rebuke that point because I know, it, I know it happened. But the defending in the last 10 minutes, I don't think they had a proper chance after, after we equalised. And I think, personally, when you see them last 10 minutes, it's me and Tarkovsky at their finest form, just looking absolutely solid as a brick wall. You're not going to get through them. But, uh, I, yeah, I don't, I, Tom, I don't think Chelsea had a real chance af- after we equalised. Uh, like I said, only one team that likes scoring afterwards. They, uh, they, they, they had to go from sort of 0 to 100 into the last 10 minutes. Like I said, it's looking them two subs on. I don't think they had that rhythm. I don't think they'd, They'd, they'd got to be complacent, basically. They weren't obviously expecting us to score and, and the only 10 minutes then to wait themselves up. And then you say, balls in the box, things like that. We haven't got something forward to worry about. If you're happy to drop into detail like we were, uh, then, then you normally back us to do that. And obviously we've complained earlier on this season that when we've had those kind of chances, when we've had a lead, we've not always sat on it and defended it that well. But like you said, we're really comfortable. I don't think Pope's had anything to do that last 10 minutes. Come out and call caught a couple of crosses that, that you'd expect him to catch. And, you know, like you said, only one team really that looked like they had a goal in him. I'd like to say I've been slightly ironic when I said that Vidra should have gone to the car. <laughs> the nerves were kicking in at that point, mate. That's all I said. That's all I said. I think everyone was nervous, but, I mean, to be honest, I I was confident. I, I did say to you at half-time, Sam, I said, 
we'll grab a goal here, one or. But I was, I was confident in the last few minutes, but it's just nerve-wracking. I mean, Rich, I, I remember speaking to you after the game and you said, it's almost better sometimes if you've been battered and you're not even in the game because you don't have that, that optimism. But I thought the last few minutes, as, as nerve-wracking as they were, the sort of scenes when after the game, the players came over and you just saw how much it meant to them. You know, Josh Brownell in particular, he, he was giving it biggins. Yeah, it's the I think the word it's the hope that kills you sometimes, isn't it? But like I said, you know, after the game, I think Burnley put something on the Instagram about the fans celebrating. And I've kind of like been celebrating. Next minute I've turned to my left and there's a young George Poole giving it the absolute big and le- leaning over the uh I don't know what you would call it, but just leaning over the upper tier, thinking he's gonna fall off here in a minute, absolutely giving it the big and you couldn't miss him with his Ronnie O'Sullivan style locks and his retro um Ensley yellow Burnley shirt. So just like, like, like I said, I also said, George, do you remember what I said to you about the celebrations? Can you remember coming out the stadium? I know it was a, a long time ago and a few pints ago. Well, that's imagine if we did. Particular. I, no, I don't, I don't particularly don't recall it off the top of my head. So I said to George, imagine if we won the FA Cup, we've only drew a game. Yeah, imagine like we'd have taken the year off work, taken a gap year. That's what I said. I yeah. know. We ever win, but, we uh, never win something proper. But what was great throughout the game. So I was literally the, I sat there, there was a steward and then there was a Chelsea fan. So I was like the last row with Burnley fans. So to be fair, I've got to say, you know, I, I talked to a few of the Chelsea fans over the over the barrier, but the, the, the stewarding was great too. You know, they let you stand up and sing all the way through the game. You know, they didn't do them, that jobs were thing and try and sit you down all the time. But there was one Chelsea fan, sorry if there are any Cockneys listening, but he was a typical cocky Cockney, giving... He wasn't rude and ag- aggressive or anything, but giving it the big and all game, oh, you're Northern, this so-and-so, Burnley, this, that and the other. So, obviously, we score, we're giving it to the big and with him. And then, about one minute into injury time, um, just after um, just after Vidra went to the corner, he just slowly walked off. And all the Burnley fans in that lower tier just give him absolute verbals. And I thought, this is why we go to football, just for little little wins and little moments like that as Burnley fans. And then, like you said, walking out of the stadium, you know, when you see all the Chelsea fans looking glum walking past and, you know, you're singing all the Burnley songs. It Like, you know, Tom said the same to me. It really was a special atmosphere um, on, on Saturday. And it'll be, you know, as I grow up and I tell my kids and my grandkids, that's a game that I'll certainly re- remember for a long, long time. Yeah, we, t- we touched upon the Chelsea fans there. So we'll, mo- we'll move on to... Uh... The post-match reaction. Uh, it's safe to say it was a typical big six reaction, wasn't it, Tom? In the uh, I hope Burnley get relegated. I hope they liquidate. Blah blah blah. But isn't it sweet? It, I think it makes the the sort of result even even the more sweeter. The way they, I mean, Richard said then they were very glum outside the stadium, but they were less than glum on the uh, the old social media, and they were definitely enthusiastic, shall we say, about uh, their anti-Burnley tirade. Yeah, it's that Jurgen Klopp attitude, and these teams only exist to turn up and lose to us. And how dare you have the temerity to to try and score a goal or get a point? Uh, yeah, it, it it makes it very sweet, doesn't it? It's uh, it's the like you've had a great day yourself, and then there's a few plastics out there whose day you ruined as well. That's always a nice feeling. I thought too sure. Um, you know, a lot's been made of him saying that we were lucky. I mean, we were a bit lucky, you know. There's, there's no reason to get too precious about it. But at the same time, like we touched on already, I thought he got it wrong in the second half. He waited too long to make his subs. He was, you know, he was too complacent that it was it was heading towards a one 0 And you know, we know in football, 
one nil is a dangerous lead. Any team can always get a goal from somewhere. You might not always get two, but any team can get a goal from somewhere. And I don't think he was proactive enough in his changes. Um, and I wonder if maybe there was a little bit of that thinking as well, a little bit of that frustration with himself that uh, that came out in that post-match interview. But yeah, nice. Always, always nice uh, to one if you I think that's uh, that's something you'd miss in it. You know, if we if we got a bit too nice or we start we start handing points out a bit too frequently, you miss a bit of that social media fume. Long may it continue. Yeah, the the thing that stuck with me as we walked back to the pub uh, after the game was Tom saying. Uh, that we've definitely upset an American fan that's come over and gone and spent money on hospitality to expect a Chelsea battering of this small club, but we've got them ruin their day. Uh, so it does make it all the more sweeter like that. Uh, Rich, I'll just I'll move over to you quickly. What are your sort of expectations moving forward after this? Obviously, we've got the international break now, but do these two results now, Brentford win and a draw at Chelsea, really set us up to look upwards in the league table and not, and not behind us? Yeah, I think, you know, was the Norwich game the last game before the last international break? I might have got my fixtures wrong. Yeah, so you're all nodding. And, you know, the feeling walking off, you know, the you know the ground after the Norwich game compared to that Chelsea game, it's, you know, this team, honestly, they, they give you heart attacks. We can be absolutely useless for a few games. And then, you know, we perform like we've done, the, you, know, the, you, know, the, you know, the last couple of, you know, we're definitely more, I'm definitely more optimistic. Um, you know, this is what football does to you. But to bring us back a little bit to reality, it's still going to be a tough season this year. Will we stay up? I hope so. I don't think I'm as confident. I don't know. I am confident, but I, I don't think we'll come 10 points clear like we did last season. You know, we still, there's some decent teams down there. I think we're a better side than Watford. I thought they'd give Arsenal a decent game actually yesterday, but I think we're a better side than Watford. If Newcastle didn't have this takeover and with Eddie Howe going, I'd be like, you know what, they're, they're going down. But with this takeover, it's just the unknown, isn't it? So I am a lot more optimistic. I think, listen, you, you're going to have difficult games, aren't you, in the Premier League? It's, it's just the nature of the beast. But I'm looking at the fixtures after Chris, you know, between now and Christmas. Um, and I think we've got, and, and I think we've got a decent run of fixtures. You know, obviously Palace are playing well, but, you know, a home game against Palace. Tottenham aren't great at the moment. And then we think we've got Wolves and Newcastle away, which we can go and get something. So we've got a decent run of games coming up now. Um, so I, I'm definitely a lot more op- optimistic than after that Norwich uh, result where I thought we looked a real, really average team. But, you know, Corne's a big one for us, isn't he? You know, he has got to keep fit and we're going to miss him at the African Cup of Nations. But, but listen, let's stay positive after that great draw. Hello, listeners, and welcome back to take two of the second part of today's episode. Uh, silly old me without taking these hosting duties for the week has totally forget to, forgot to press record. So I know you'll never hear it, but Tom just gave the greatest monologue that has ever been given. R- really up there with the best uh, oratory speakers we've ever heard. Uh, so I'm sorry you missed out on that. But Tom, I am going to come back to you. And we were talking about the, the international break possibly stunting the momentum of the team. Now, you weren't so sure, because is it is it good to go on a high into the break? I feel like it's just going to be like Tenacious D now. It's not the greatest monologue in the world. It's just a tribute. But I'll do the rest. Yeah, it, it's, uh, you can look at it two ways, I think. Um, Rich made a good point. The, the contrast with the Norwich, you know, the, the Norwich result just before the last international break. 
then you've got two weeks of just stewing on that rubbish performance, rubbish result. The feeling around the club, I think, was great after that. Whereas now, you know, we've just had a good run uh, of results. We're, we're not losing games. We've had a great result there, a smash and grab point. And I think if you look at it on the optimistic way, you can say, well, we've got two weeks now where the feeling's good around the club. And I think the, the build-up to the Palace game and, and, and people coming onto the Palace game are going to be optimistic. I think there's going to be a good feeling around the place before that game starts. Um, in terms of the, the break delaying it, then again, you can look at like the, 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 the positives of it are players getting a rest, you know, people people being able to put the feet up for a week. Uh, we spoke before about you know, the fitness levels perhaps not being quite where they need to be. So, yeah, I'll take the positives. I think I'm happy that we've got into the break on a on a good uh, a good run of form. And I, you know, I, I, it's one of them. We're, we're we're a bit of a funny team, aren't we? Sometimes we just seem to pull form out of nowhere. So I'm not going to be too worried if uh, you know that that it's going to that it's going to hinder us too badly. Yeah, perhaps I'm just being t- bitter that. There's no Burnley representation in the England squad, which, which uh, imagine saying that ten years ago, you'd you'd be laughed at for even thinking about it. But now, it almost seems like it should be a given, uh, but unfortunately, it isn't. With uh, obviously Nick Pope and Talks not making this latest squad, F- for some teams though, the international break is, uh, it's more of a reset rather than carrying on momentum, momentum which we've gained. And obviously, the the team in question right now is Newcastle. Steve Bruce went a couple of weeks ago. It's taken them a couple of games to identify their man or their very their, their multitude of men. Obviously, they've been rejected by every man under the sun. I think they even got in contact with my agent last week, but I said, no, you've, you've got no clear vision for the future. So they've had to go with option Z, which is Eddie Howe. Uh, obviously, we've got a, an old link with Eddie Howe. So, Rich, just what are your thoughts on the, the new appointment at, at Newcastle, the the, the merry-go-round at that club in, in recent years. Benitez left, and uh, obviously Steve Bruce hasn't particularly worked out, but what do you see going forward, Wadey Howe? Is this, is this the man to keep them up? You, know, you talk about Bruce didn't work out. You know, they come 12 last season. I think, you know, you look at the top half of the Premier League, you know, there's some big clubs in there, you know, and, and some outstanding teams. So, you know, to come 12 last year, you know, was was was, was decent. Eddie Howe, for me, is a neither here or there appointment, really. Um, I thought they would have got a bigger name. I think Emery would have been a good appointment, you know, and I think they would have chucked a lot of cash in it. And you mentioned there, I think his reason it for, for, for turning it down was a lack of a vision, which is really interesting. Obviously, it's all well and good having a lot of money, but if you're not going to steer the ship in the right direction, you know, it, it's almost no good. <laughs> like, you meant, it's, it, it's a very, very loose link to Eddie Howe, so... Um, when I worked for Burnley in a in, in a in a coaching capacity a few years ago, uh, well, it was a long time ago now. Obviously, wasn't wasn't it? Eddie Al was manager there, and every now and again, you know, you see him walk into the you know into the building, and I've got nothing but good things to say about him personally. He was a very um, nice man. Um, yeah, just very personable, very very polite, and I thought, listen, we couldn't defend, but I think it, you know he made a lot of good signings for Burnley and. You know, people say he left and he was homesick and stuff like that. He's, I think his mum was, I think his mum uh, was was ill at the time, wasn't wasn't she? So you know, it was possibly passed away. So listen, good luck to him, but not too much good luck. But I just don't think it's going to be a good appointment, unfortunately. I think, Eddie, you know, I think Eddie Howe's a you know a good manager. He did a good job at Bournemouth. You know, I I know they have money to spend, but. You've still got to, you know, do do well with that money, and you know, and, and like I mentioned before, steer the ship in the right direction. So, you know, he did a very good job, and I think he, 
you know, you've seen the Norwich job come. I actually think he would have been better for a club like that. Even if he go down, he, he could get a get a look at a little bit more time. I think if he has a bad um, couple of months at, uh, at Newcastle, he'll, he'll be out of the door, to be honest. Yeah, so George, George and Tom why did me up there about that said about me having a loose link to Eddie Howe. Well, when, when he said when I was a coach at Burnley, I, I didn't realise we had Ian Warren on the podcast. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dyke, when Sean Dyke took over, taught him everything he knew. Yeah, this was the right-hand man. <laughs> that's why he always has a go at corners. He apparently used to be the set-piece specialist. That's what he's telling us. Uh, but, Tom, we've, we've just touched then on the, on the Norwich uh, the Norwich job coming up. And it's quite funny when you look at the league table, uh, the bottom four teams, Norwich, manager's been sacked this season. Newcastle, obviously Bruce went. Burnley, no managers thankfully left. But Watford also uh, got rid of their manager. Um, and, and even the team above them, Aston Villa. So we've seen these two jobs come up this week. Obviously, Aston Villa have sacked Dean Smith and Norwich rather oddly sacked Daniel Farker after their first win of the season. Uh, perhaps wins aren't expected at Norwich. You get a slap on the wrist if you if you actually achieve success. I think that's what that's what I took away from that sacking. Uh, but Tom, what are your thoughts on the the two the two jobs that have come up this week? Villa and Villa and Norwich fair dismissals, or should this go to a small claims court? Or Rich? It's okay. Just... Or Rich will come to you. Yeah, Tom. Tom's disappeared. I think he's had enough of George being host. Uh, I think I think the Norwich one's actually fair enough. But why not do it after? After they lost against Leeds, the, the timing just seems absolutely, you know, bizarre. Surely that decision was made before the game, you know, regardless of if you win or lose. I don't know. It, it, listen, I think after what, you know, Farker's done a lot for, you know, for that club. Norwich was really on its knees. You know, he got him promoted with no money. He signed players like Buendia, who's going to make, who's, who's, who's made the club a lot of money. So, you know, if you're going to sack him, just at least let him, you know, let the chap enjoy his Saturday night. And you know, maybe you know, maybe do it, you know, today or something. So I think it's the right decision. Nobby still won't stay up anyway. You know, the one about getting Lampard, which again I think it's a decent appointment, but I just don't think they'll stay up. They've not got enough quality. Um, you know, they've not spent enough money either. You know, considering they got thirty-eight for Brendia, you know, they've not really repl- you know, they could have spent a bit of money and they've not done really. I think when you've got Gibson and Hamley centre halves in the Premier League, I, you know, they're all right, aren't they? But the championship players and you know, so they're you know they had a hiding to nothing. I, I'm 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 fifty fifty on Dean Smith. There seems to be a bit of a, a bit of an outcry, you know, from a lot of people. But, um, you know, I, again, you know, he said the ship at Villa. How much was his success based on Grealish being one of the best players in the league? You know, possibly even in Europe last season. And when you see Grealish got injured, even the back end of last season, the form dipped a little bit. In, in Dean Smith's de- defence, you know, they've signed a lot of players, they've had a few injuries and it takes time to, you know, to gel. It's one of them, isn't it? You know, to give somebody a little bit more time or, or to make a decision. Now, again, with stuff like that, proof will be in the pudding, won't it, won't it, George, ultimately? If, you know, if Aston Villa going, you know, they hire somebody and they're going to great, won't you say fair play? But if, if, they, if they do pop and, and lose that little bit of stability, but, I think I think someone like Villa though, their expectations are, are, are different to what we are now. You know, we keep dice because ultimately the aim for us is to keep us up in the league every year, and we know we'll have our troughs. But under Dyche, we'll 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 have a better chance than if you know than if we don't sack him. But I think Jamie Carragher's made some really good points over the last few weeks, where 
football clubs aren't built around the managers anymore. I think we're the we're the anomaly there. You know, they have you know they hire head coaches, you have directors of football, technical directors, heads of recruitment, and it's almost like well, if you feel your mid mid mid, if you feel your midfielder is not good enough and not performing, then we'll just get somebody better in, and it and it seems the case. But I'm always like me, they sack these uh, managers, but who do they have in line sometimes? I think that's a difficult one. I know I mentioned, I remember years ago when Nigel Atkins got sacked from Southampton and there was a big outcry because he started the season really well. But they got Pochettino in. He's obviously an outstanding manager. So going to be really interesting. I think it seems like Lampard might go to Norwich. Um, but I'm really interested to see who Aston Villa get. There's been rumours of Hassan Hootel. So where could that leave Southampton? So it's that season, isn't it? The, merry, the managerial merry-ground. But... Um, yeah, just really interesting. Really interesting. I think Ranieri's not a good appointment for Watford. I don't think he's the man for a crisis. I like him. I think he's a good guy. But um, yeah, I wonder if Big Sam will pop up anywhere. Well, the funny, the funny. Well, Tom's thing back. Think... Tom's Tom back. Is, Tom is back. Th- thank the Lord. Sorry, Tom. I nicked your question there. Yeah, Tom. I'm going to give you another question. Don't worry. You'll still have your bite at the apple. Uh, but we're, we're going to. We're, you were talking then about uh, Villa, and what I find funny about that one is that. By all accounts, they've not got anyone lined up. They're just going to play it by ear now and decide on a, on a new appointment. I mean, the likes of Hasselhutl. I mean, why are you sacking Dean Smith if you're not going to you're not going to employ like the finished article as your next manager? Because Smith was just a young up and coming manager, you know, playing his trade really with with Villa, and he was only going to improve. So it seems a bizarre one for me. Uh, but Tom, what I was going to come on to it in sort of why the Premier League matters. Is that <laughs> this is brilliant? So Tom's now disappeared again. So Rich, I'm going to throw this question to you. you you've got a second bite at the apple. You lucky thing. Uh, but what I was going to say is West Ham, one of the teams of the season so far, went to third at the weekend. Now with Dash, we know well and truly that if you stick with a manager after we had them rough first six months with him, it can pay off in the end. I, I've looked at Arsenal recently. I think nine unbeaten. We all questioned Arteta, but you know, you know what? He's actually turning things around at the moment. Manchester United, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, surely his time is coming. David Moyes, should they have stuck with him originally? And if not, if Ole goes now, is David Moyes perhaps a candidate to go back to the club he was sacked from a few years ago? Is David Moyes oh, the next Man United manager? That's a lot of circles and roundabouts for me to get me head in after being up at quarter past six this morning. Um, listen, Moises, you know, it's, it's a funny one with Moises, isn't it? Everyone thought he was done maybe, maybe past his time. And But you look at it at West Ham, and I think this is where managers maybe, where, where you like you go back to Villa, who, is it Dean Smith who's chosen to make those signings? Is it Christian Purcell, this director of football? It looks like to me. Moyes has gone back to what he had at Everton, you know, with Fellaini, you know, he's got a really strong, powerful team who are really well disciplined. They they look like a David Moyes' signings, you know, to me. And, you know, and he's built a fantastic team there. You know, and they're just riding a wave, but, you know, this wave has been going on a while. You know, and I think they've got a, a young player in Declan Rice who I think is absolutely outstanding, I really do. Um I think Solskjaer's time probably is up, but now he now at United, the way off the you know the, the top clubs. He's been there three years, but there's you know it's seen. You know you've had Van Alder, you've had Moyes, um, Mourinho. I think that there's greater problems at United, obviously with the owners, with with you know maybe Ed Woodward, um, Dan Solskjaer. But 
I, I agree with Neville. I think Solskjaer's just the, in, in terms of they won't get rid of him, not I'd agree with Neville in in terms of that. He'll back Solskjaer to the hill, which is fair play. It's, it's his pal, but I don't think they'll get rid of him unless he gets really, really toxic. I think he'll stick it out to the end of the season. Um, yeah, so it's interesting, but I don't see Moyes coming back to, to, to United. But if, if, you know what? Wouldn't it be a great story if he did go back and he, and he did well? I'm really interested to see how Conte does at Spurs. He's obviously a top manager, but Stur- you know, you look at Spurs' squad, they don't look they're nowhere near it. Kane looks so disinterested. He looks about as disinterested as my students in a nine o'clock lesson. Um, so, so yeah. Perhaps that says something about the teaching, surely, Rich. <laughs> no, no, I agree with oh, you. It's interesting any... for Mr. Steele. Oh, yeah. Well, any 9am for me, there is a lack of interest. I'm sorry, but why schools don't start a bit later is beyond me. But I found it interesting talking about why the Premier League matters there, especially the West Ham one, because... Like you've said to me a few times, Rich, they're just Burnley, but 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 better, really. Uh, so I, I did find that interesting. But Rich, just before you head off, I want three teams from you right now. At, at this point of the season, who are three teams that are worse than us and will go down in our place? I'm going to say Norwich, Watford and Brentford in that order. Norwich, Watford and Brentford. Okay, I... I I'll take that. As long as you didn't throw Burnley in there, that'll do me. So thank you very much, Rich. I know your battery's going, so... I'll, I'll bid you adieu for today and I'll bid Tom a virtual adieu because because that man's gone. His Wi-Fi's gone. I'm, I'm here. I'm like Jack Sparrow on the uh, the Black Pearl. I'm, I'm sailing all by myself. But we're going to wrap up there anyway, listeners. And I've just got a few thank yous to say, specifically to producer Matt. It's been chaotic at times today. You know, that's how I've known it never rocks and rolls, to be honest. I think if there was a smooth episode, we'd know to throw it in the bin because it wouldn't be worth anything. So thank you very much to producer Matt for putting all this together. And obviously, thank you to you listeners for staying with us free all the way through. I think it's been a, a really enjoyable conversation and it was brilliant to see Rich and Tom at the weekend uh, in the pub before and after the game. It was really, really nice to see the, the whole team in person. Uh, and listeners, if you ever see us uh, before or after a game, come come and say hi because we'll be more than happy to uh, to grab a pint and talk all things Burnley. But my final thank you has to go to George Gaskell, who's produced the brilliant music for us this season. It's been brand new and I hope you're enjoying it, especially during them intermi- intermission breaks for when for, when our internet breaks down uh, during recording. And so thank you again, listeners, for tuning in. And we'll catch you over the international break where we might well have a very, very special episode for you. So keep your eyes peeled on social media and we'll catch you next time. I've been George Poole and I've been your host for today. Up the clarets. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximize your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Normally being a little extra can be a bit much, but when it comes to health care, it pays to be extra. 
And United Healthcare makes it easy with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they supplement your primary plan, helping you manage out-of-pocket costs without the usual requirements and restrictions like deductibles and enrollment periods. So when it comes to covering your medical bills, you can feel good about being a little extra. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. Talk sport powered by fans.